BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Content warning for abuse and pregnancy trauma. Someplace underneath. and copyright it and every time someone sings it i get a dollar <laughs> all right let's hear it let's hear your, your rough draft okay here we go happy birthday to you happy birthday mm. to you happy birthday dear natalie happy, happy birthday, birthday to, to you. you is that good well i think you need to change at least a note in there all right to you <laughs> So you did? It's a question. <laughs> I used to have this bit back when I was doing stand-up in New York where it was a selfish person singing happy birthday to somebody else. Mm. And it was a whole like, it's a visual bit and it's all about me and I kind of like push them away. <laughs> it's very funny, but every time I would do it at like a club, people would be like, what is this crazy bitch? But if I'd go to like a gay bar, they'd be like, yes, we love it. <laughs> Interesting. It's like a different, like the people who like that joke are a little more into like pizzazz, I guess. Yeah, no, I can see that for sure. We're really into pizzazz over here on Spun. Welcome to Someplace Underneath them, Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. I think it's a great idea for um, money-making purposes. You just have to get something that's really catchy and then know how to copyright really quickly. Immediately. Just like something kid, stupid. Remember that kid who was, I think, copyright claiming that floss dance for video games and stuff? I'm not making this up. You're looking at me like I'm insane. What is the floss dance? Oh, you know that thing that everybody's doing like four years ago. It was like. Oh, with the arms dancing around like you're homeschooled. Yeah. Yeah. The kid, I think, was trying to do copyright claims on it. I don't know if it worked. We should find out. Man, our own needs. That's how I make money. That's how I want to do it. I invented the paperclip. You didn't, though, Amber. Shit. It's all been invented. Yeah, no, some something's not been invented yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. Don't you worry. Before we start this episode, I wanted to just go back real quick and follow up on some of the organizations that were actively working on changing legislature for parasocial exploitation in that realm. We also did a stream with our friend and law professional Mackenzie Brennan last week, which you can access on LPN's Twitch channel at any time. It's just sitting there now in the archives. I think we got a lot of good information out. She answered a lot of my questions. I don't know if she answered yours, too. She's very smart. Yeah. You know, we have fun on the streams, too. They're a little more cash. I think if you have the time and you want to go listen to that while you're, you know, doing your laundry or something, there's some good information in there. But we're still trying to figure out to, how to navigate these waters of how do we deal with parasocial exploitation inside of the home. Mm. So it's still a little bit on the frontier end of that. Maybe next time when we do Twitch to all work on, I know not everybody does Twitch and we get that comment a lot. Like just like, I don't know how to, what Twitch is. What it, I think you can just log on and then like look our username up. You'll have to look at some ads, I think for like yeah. Jack in the box or whatever. And yeah. then we pop up. Yeah. And it's basically just like a YouTube. But if you don't want to do that, maybe we'll work on double streaming, like simultaneously streaming on Twitch and like YouTube or Twitch and stupid TikTok. 
I wonder if we have like, because we really criticize TikTok a lot. I wonder if we criticize it on TikTok. They'll pull the stream down because they're listening, you know, through their bots. Maybe. But I tell you what, Natalie, I reinstalled TikTok. I've been on it every chance I could get. I don't know. It's crack cocaine. I hate myself, Natalie. I I feel like I could go down that path really easily, but I try not to start is the thing. I think it's the starting is the problem. First thing in the morning. Oh, don't. Amber, you got to get First that phone. And get, the last thing at night. Get I'm your talking. phone out of there. 3 a.m. I'm in bed. You got to start reading our fairy fuck books because that'll keep you off your phone. Okay. I, I really recommend keeping your tech out of your bedroom if possible to everyone out there. I think it really helps my sleep and it makes your brain shut down. Better. Unless it's a vibrator. Then keep that tech in there. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) that will help everybody fall asleep eventually. (laughs) But make sure your vibrator does not get TikTok because I feel like those things are going to merge at some point. So, yeah, if you want to check out the organization called We Protect, it's an international watchdog activist group. It's a big conglomerate of them. And I'm still trying to understand if it's government controlled because it doesn't seem to be a nonprofit or at least doesn't accept donations. But I was really intrigued by the work they're doing. The wording on their website is this. A unique collaboration of public and private sectors. Learn more about members and how to join. And then the Global Alliance, which is the We Protect, it consists of currently 100 governments, 63 companies, 83 civil society organizations and nine intergovernmental organizations. So it is some like mega group trying to have everybody collectively work together on making the Internet safer for children and to stop trafficking, which all sounds great. And I think that's good, but I'm still kind of trying to delve further into who is behind it. Yeah. Who's the man behind the curtain? Yeah. So don't completely quote me on this being an amazing group, but it seems like it. And I would like to reach out and see if somebody from the organization would like to do an interview with us because they do seem to want to tackle the issue of the coming from inside the house exploitation, which is, you know, something we're passionate about here on Spun. So maybe we can get somebody from them to talk to us. So because, you know, so few organizations working on things like CSAM seem to want to focus on the, oh, it's the parents doing it issue, most likely because it's probably a lot of cross sections of problems like, you know, parental rights and sex trafficking and state line crossing and all these fucking bullshit things that apparently if you do really prolific crimes, it makes it harder for them to do anything. They just did too many crimes. I don't know. I don't know, Natalie. Yeah. It's out of my control. I mean, Jesus Christ, this is something I think we've been learning on this show a lot, which is really depressing. Yeah, the more crime you do, kind of the more you get away with it. The harder it is to get you because you have to get more people involved. This is probably not a great thing to put out onto the the airwaves, (laughs) but um, it's the truth. So, But in lieu of having a sort of perfect organization to donate to based on the things that I'm personally really passionate about we're going to split the donation for the series one is parts going to go to soft scorpio which i mentioned last time who was the formerly vlogged child who's now an adult speaking out against it their gofundme and then i'm also going to split it with the demi and ashton group thorn yes that is correct the 2000s power couple demi moore and ashton kutcher founded this nonprofit. so while their love didn't last their money sure did. That's pretty cool. Didn't Ashton Kutcher also found like the thing where you it puts your ch- change in another bank account? I don't know. Like it's something it's like a way to save money for poor people, basically. So say I go buy a candy bar, it's 79 cents mm-hmm. and it would just round up the dollar, but just take, you know, 21 cents and then put it into a private account. Like a savings? Like a savings. Oh, that's really smart. Yeah. Sure. Let's credit it to Ashton. Sure, Ashton. Great job. Thank you, Ashton. 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 <laughs> that's cool, honestly. It sounds a little corny because it's a celeb-run, celeb-founded organization, but it actually is a legitimate nonprofit that does a lot of work. And I think the cast from that 70s show really needs some positive addressing in the the news right now, considering Danny Masterson's situation in court. We will donate to Thorne, and they really do actually do a lot of good work. Their mission statement 
is... We turn technology into hope for the most vulnerable kids. At Thorn, we form long-term partnerships to build tools to fight child sexual abuse. We want our partners at tech companies, in law enforcement, and at NGOs to have what they need to help kids. So we identify the needs, gather resources, and create powerful solutions. So that's their little mission statement there. Love it. They partner also with the biggest nonprofits like National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is about as legit as you can get. So it's not like a vanity project. So check them out. We're going to send our donation for the series to them as well as with Soft Scorpio. And then we're going to head right into the next series. All right. Amber, I think Kiara Coles was originally your topic that you wanted to bring up? Uh, Yes, because I saw her mother giving these statements Mm. to like the news outlets Mm -hmm. that were just so like, please help my baby. Like even if you have the smallest bit of knowledge, even if you've seen her, she's pregnant, she went missing. Mm -hmm. Like, please. And it just seemed so heart touching, just so sad. I wanted to talk about it. I agree. Her mom's appearances on news programs they're really hard to watch sometimes because you can just hear the earnestness and the pain in her voice. It's such an like not that people are usually faking it on the news, but you can just tell how much this has really caused agony to her family. And also, as I was doing the research on this, ooh, it is it's frustrating, spicy. yeah, and really bizarre. A lot of questions that aren't answered yet four years later, and it's. <sighs> Man, it's so hard when you look at these cases. We are not detectives. We're not the police. It's really easy to just point the finger and say, oh, they're fucking idiots. They fucked up. But it is so confusing when you come from the outside and see these things that don't make any sense and that the case is still open four years later. And just like we were doing with the Jesus Torres, how the <laughs> it's just so much evidence, so many people, and he's just out. It's it's. This one isn't as cut and dry as far as who the culprit is, but there's some pretty confusing evidence as to why they haven't figured out who the culprit is yet. A lot of law, I think, is ingrained in like, well, that's just how it is. That's just what's written. That's how it is. We got to follow the protocol. And that's what it, that's why you do it. And it's never like, well, then let's change it mm-hmm. to make a better world for us. Right. And. That was something that Mackenzie has spoken of on different streams that we have done with her. As much as some laws that are in place are really outdated, and we talked about this actually last week too, that certain protection laws of the internet for kids were made in the 90s before social media existed, and we're still using that same set of rules for a thing that didn't exist at the time. Yeah. And sometimes laws are really outdated, and it takes a lot of work to get them changed, which on one hand, it's probably good because that means you can't just like make a crazy law. Right. But it kind of goes against us whenever there should clearly be a different law in place now. But it takes all of this effort and concerted effort and paperwork and like time and all this shit when people's lives are at stake. So it's very annoying. And I think that some of that definitely takes part in this story of Kiara Cole's. Kiara Cole's is a woman who would currently be 30 years old. When she disappeared, she was 26, and that was in October, October 2nd to be exact, 2018. So the beginning of the month of this recording, October 2022, marks the fourth year of Kiera and her baby unable to be located. But somewhere in some place and somehow she is 30 years old. This case, like so many missing women's stories, is muddled with sparse coverage, conflicting details by police and detectives, and a lot of social media discourse. I've been finding as we cover some of these cases that don't have, you know, dateline or whatever going after them that you're gaining some of the information based on people speaking to each other on social media and having to try to parcel through that and figure out what's relevant and what's just rumor. And it makes things confusing, even from the mouth of the mother, because it's, as we'll get into, sometimes conflicting with what the police are saying. And then you have to discern who's saying the thing accurately. Yeah, who's right, who's wrong. A lot of it's like, you know, looking through Facebook posts. Mm -hmm. I see the mother herself approaching local news outlets and being Mm -hmm. like, I have to talk about this. There's no dateline coverage. 
Right. Her mother has been very, very proactive in this since the beginning. From the information that I have collected personally, I'm delivering this story to the best of my ability. But in this kind of case, I'm constantly finding new snippets of information. And sometimes they contradict or counteract the information I had previously found or information that was presented by the media, including info that's coming from Kiara's own family. So for the most part, I'm more inclined to believe the family members, but you also have to take into account personal biases and heightened emotions when you hear the family talk. And that's not to discredit her family. It's just human nature of it, that her family seems incredibly genuine and loving. But as we are trying to get through all of this information, you do have to sort of take in as much as a mother or a family member would want the best. Sometimes their views are a little bit skewed based on personal feelings, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, some of my family members hate me. If I went missing, they'd be like, good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or they would just be like, Amber did it. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. somebody else went missing. You're like, I'm just here trying to hang out in Hollywood. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so... This story and this life takes place in Chicago. Kiera has a lot going for her. She still does currently because we want to hold on to the hope that she's alive. She's an absolutely gorgeous young woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here's a picture of her, Amber. As you can see in this picture I am showing you. She's gorgeous. And she really wanted to work for the post office. She did. She, she showed up and was like, I want to work. For like three years, she was volunteering. Mm -hmm. And then she got a job there. So this shows that like... She wanted to do something, set the goals to do it. You know, she's not just some flippant girl. No, not at all. I mean, completely the opposite of that. She had been working, like you just said, for several years. I guess basically you kind of work your way up into like male distributor mm -hmm. because I think that that is a really high paying lucrative job. You get keys to people's houses. Yeah. They I mean, can't just be giving sure. that to nobody. Right. For sure. So I think she had been working lower level jobs in the post office for several years because she was like, I see this job as a potential for me to like have a nice life, provide for a family when I want one. Yeah. Like, you know, have a the fucking whatever American dream we're supposed to all be fed. And, you know, we have a waning middle class. This is a middle class job. Absolutely. And she's also not sitting at a desk all day, blinding herself with like the blue light in the office. Totally. She's outside. I could definitely see the appeal of doing that. For a job. Yeah. So, yeah, she's a beautiful young woman. She was 26 again when she disappeared. And, you know, this photo of her, she's doing a little selfie in her USPS outfit. She's making that uniform a work for her. <laughs> she looks cute in it, which is really hard to do in a postal uniform. Mm. So, yeah, she saw the health benefits, the paid leave, all the good stuff, and was like, I want that job. And I say raise a family because at the time of her disappearance, she was three months pregnant. She was very excited about this, according to all of her loved ones. The baby's father was, in fact, a man who also worked for the Postal Service and also her long-term boyfriend. His name is Joshua Simmons. They had been in a relationship at the time she went missing for close to six years. We'll get back to that. Kiara is very close with her family. Her mom, Karen Phillips, has been the forward-facing person from her family in the media and has done, in my opinion, everything in her power to find her daughter. Like you were saying, it really is heartbreaking to hear her mother speak because you can just hear the toll that this has taken on her. I'll be playing a small clip of, of her next episode, probably won't make it to this one. Though I don't have a complete scope of her sibling lineup, she has at least one brother and three sisters who have been involved in the search in one way or another and all are clearly distraught. Like they are all very much involved with this. They were close. Like Kiara was friends with her siblings, you know, not just related. Yeah. Kiara's father, Joe Coles, actually quit his job in Wisconsin and moved to Chicago to full time search for his daughter, at least for the first few months of the disappearance. This is so many people's lives that have been unearthed mm -hmm. and just I don't want to say ruined, but just um, upended. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Because of this incident. Yeah. So. You know, her dad just became a full-time search for his daughter person. This is a family that very clearly loves their daughter slash sister slash aunt deeply. And they do not deserve this kind of pain. So what the hell happened? Well, on that day, October 2nd, 2018, Kiera didn't show up to work. Some accounts say that she called in sick, but I don't know whether that's been confirmed or if she was simply a no-show. That's weird, though. 
Because already she wouldn't be doing this. It's not in her character, certainly, according to her mother. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Regardless of whether or not it was a like a called sick kind of thing or she just didn't show up, doesn't particularly matter that much. Her mother, who says she speaks with all of her children pretty much every morning, called Kiera as usual, but didn't get a response. This wasn't alarming right away because people, you know, get busy and she just assumed Kiera was going to call her back because that's just how it works. Beyond that, Karen and Kiera had had a small argument earlier in the week. And so she thought maybe Kiera was like icing her out, you mm. know, just like, all right, I'll call her back later or whatever. So she tried several more times that day and she was not getting a response. And it really at that point was feeling a little bit like it was kind of alarming. She would expect Kiera to at least send a text being like, I'm busy. I'll have to talk to you later. Just yeah. like, wait till I got to call you later. Nothing. There was nothing. And it was going straight to voicemail, which was something that was also a little bit alarming to her mother. Does that mean that like, so if you call somebody and it goes right to voicemail, that means somebody just hit the hangout button? Or it's dead. Or it's dead. Right. So it most likely, because even if you call and they hit the hangout button, you would get a little bit of a ring most of the time. This is going directly. So it would be what happens. It's so funny that we were all so used to our phones that you're like, how would it not ring? Oh, the phone turns off? That's crazy. No, I'm the same. Like, You don't just stare at it all day, every day? Okay. (laughs) But that's the thing. So it was alarming to her because Kiera is a millennial and she is Velcroed to her phone. It's not common for her to have her phone off, especially if she's like working in a place where she can be on her own sometimes. You're not going to turn your phone off. So as this is going on, she's like getting a little weirded out. But Karen, her mother, is working. And so she decides at her lunch break, she's going to go take a little break and drive over to Kiara Street and just see if her car's there. You know, she just did a little drive-by thing. No car. She's like, okay, doesn't seem like she's home. Oh, that's got to be an awful feeling. Because like some of these places you get an hour max, sometimes 30 minutes on a lunch break. Mm -hmm. And you're like, all right, I guess I'll use this time to go drive real quick. I don't see her. I got to go to clock back into work. But now you're not thinking about the job, but you got to do the job, even though you're like, my daughter, what's going on? Yeah. And that's what she said, that she had to go back and wasn't off till 530. And so then she had to kind of deal with it then. But yeah, she'd just go do her job. Very frustrating. So, yeah, she went to go see if Kira had her car home. And this is a car that Kira had just purchased from her hard-earned money she was making as a postal worker. And this was also a new neighborhood she was living in. She was very proud of the apartment that she was able to get. And it was like a neighborhood she was, like, happy to be in. I've looked it up on, you know, Google Air. I've traveled that way. And it's a very cute little neighborhood. The apartment building looks nice. It's a very residential area. There's houses there, too. And it just seems like a very chill area that she was happy to be living there. And so the reason that her mom wanted to check on the car is Kiera is very proud of this purchase. I would be at 26. She bought a new ass car. I certainly wasn't in the position of 26 by her. No, she's very responsible. Yeah. And so because of that, she was very careful with it. And her mother knew that she always made sure the car was parked right across the street from her apartment building so that she could keep an eye on it. And probably also because her mom said it's just safer She knew it was safer for her to not walk down dark city blocks at night. Where she lived is pretty quiet. It's, like I said, a pretty residential area. And I think a lot of people who don't live in cities think that the city part is the dangerous part. But in actuality, it's the areas where there aren't a ton of people. Right, because you're just walking around and nobody's there. Yeah, Like, I really never felt super, or rarely at least, felt super in danger when I lived in NYC because there's always 500 people up your ass. So nothing serious really could happen. I mean, people are all 
gone insane now. But normally, <laughs> in normal times, you know, the worst you could have is maybe like somebody picked your pocket or something. And people and they watch out for each other. Like I had a dude, I saw a dude flash somebody mm-hmm. and then a woman yelled. And then another dude like he was like, man, what are you doing? You yep. know? He didn't punch him or anything, but they were like, man, you can't do that. They stop it. Yeah, they stop it. But when, you know, when I lived in a really cute area right north of Center City, Philly, it's an area called Fairmount and it's really cute. And I, my apartment ruled, it was like converted church loft and my bedroom had stained glass windows in it. It Sounds haunted. Oh my God. It was so, I was rad. I loved that place. Anyway, I loved my neighborhood too. It was residential, but like walking distance. I could ride my bike to bars and restaurants and stuff. But our street was quiet at night and it was considered a nice street. And one of my roommates was walking home after dark and right near our apartment building, a man jumped out of an alleyway and tried to pull her in. (gasps) And she fought. She freaked out. She fought and fought. And she thankfully got away by literally jumping into a passing car's back seat. What? But he had a knife and he had slashed her up while she was trying to get away. What? That is crazy. Yeah. Do you think predators look for neighborhoods like this? Because they're like, ah, oh, it's a little, not as many people on the yeah, streets. I can absolutely. take my car, drive it around, pick people up. I mean, this guy was just, he was hiding in the dark. Like, he wasn't Holy in a shit. car. He was like in, like, you're walking by a little alleyway and there's just a dude in there. He tried to yank her in. I assumed to assault her. That is terrifying. Yeah. So that is why those kind of areas actually are more dangerous. My roommate was okay, by the way, but she moved out pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah. I don't know. Did where he she went. Seek but. justice? Did she, did she get justice or he just like a slasher in the night that's gone? Yeah, I don't think she ever really pursued it because she couldn't see his face or anything. Like, I don't even know if she knew like his complexion or anything because it was dark. Oh. It was just a man in the shadows that tried to attack her. And she. That is nightmare yeah. fuel. Yeah. So, by the way, no hate to Philly. <laughs> I love that place with all my heart. Great cheesesteaks. Love Philadelphia. I bring this up because due to her location, is it possible that it was a random attack because she lived in a place that was relatively quiet at night? Just throwing that out there. It's probably not the case. But anyway, I'm digressing. But Karen, the mother, went by her block that day, which was, again, October 2nd, 2018, and didn't see her car. And Karen tried reaching out to the boyfriend, Josh. According to Karen, Josh said, oh, go check to see if her car was like down the block on the next street or something that sometimes she parks over there. And that struck Karen as a weird thing to say, because like she just said she knew that her daughter never did that, that she wanted to be safe. And And her mother knows. And her mother was very close with her. Yeah. And as it turns out, and we'll talk about later, the car did turn out to be a block down the road. Interesting that he had that information. But he said, oh, go check down the next block. Maybe sometimes she puts it over there. Now, this is not something that has really been presented on the news. This was something that Karen told a YouTube streamer by the name of PGT Time just a few weeks ago from this recording. So this is what I'm talking about where I'm getting now a lot of information directly from the mother. A lot of this wasn't coming out whenever the case first came forward. And there's a lot of questions as to what the police knew from the start and were keeping quiet and what they've recently found and have been releasing very recently in time. And it's very confusing and and I'm not sure why they're doing it this way. And neither does Kiara's mother. She is also very confused and not very happy about it. So now I feel like she's doing this stream and talking more. I feel like she's saying whatever the hell she wants, regardless of what the police want her to say now, because... What are they doing? Yeah, I think she's about had it with their investigation. And she's just saying, fuck it. I'm going to say whatever I want to say when I want to say it. I don't think necessarily the police blew her off. They did seem to work really diligently on it for a while. But the question then is, why is this still so far from being solved? Because as we'll get into the next two episodes, there is a lot of information that they have. So you're staring at me like, what? I know. I'm, uh, I'm on the edge of my seat, too. <laughs> anyway, why are these things only coming to light now that Kara's mother has gone full fuck it mode? I don't know. I'm sure the police did have reasons for this, but entering year four, I would have been like her mother, too, and been like, I'm saying whatever I'm going to say and people need to come forward because I'm going to say it. But this whole thing about her daughter's boyfriend saying, oh, check down the street for her car, sent red flags to her within like the first day. But she wasn't ready to just 
accuse this guy because she had known this man for six years. And she was like, okay, like this is still initial first days. She's still trying to get like her head around what's going on. But she did have that little back tick in the back of her head going like, that's a weird thing he said. And she didn't for damn sure her daughter did not park her car down the street from her apartment. When Karen got off work early in that evening, it's like we were saying she had to go back and finish her shifts. So around sunset at this time of year was when she got off. She went back to her daughter's apartment and she started trying to bang on the front and back doors with nobody answering. And also Kiara's boyfriend wasn't around. He didn't live with her. It was like one of those, you know, when you're in a, like a long term relationship, you guys still have your own apartments, but like you spend the nights together all the time kind of thing. So we like kind of live there, but he had his own house. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. So when she went to go check on Kiara and the apartment and knocking on the door, nobody's answering, nobody's there. Now Karen's starting to panic because Kiara's phone is still going straight to voicemail at this point. Like, I can't remember the last time my phone was dead for an entire day unless there was an emergency, right? Yeah, I'd be freaking out. Got to plug it in. Yeah. I got to check TikTok. <laughs> I got to check my TikTok. No, don't check TikTok. <laughs> That's crazy. Do you think that he just took the car and parked it down the street and lied? I ju I'm jumping the gun here. Well, we might not get to the full story of this episode, but a lot was revealed in very recent months that had not been revealed by the police. And the question is still, why did you just release this? So at this point, still going to voicemail, her mom's like, I need to call the police. Basically trying not to panic, saying, all right, I'm going to... Just ask the police if they can go do a welfare check or they call it a well-being check at her apartment. And that's just essentially the cops come and try to make entry. And then if the family requests it, they can then they I guess they get permission legally. If it's a family member, they can like break into the because what if they're house. dead on the couch? Right. You know, so Karen says this was absolutely terrifying for obvious reasons. Because she wasn't sure if they were going to find a crime scene on the inside. Can you imagine being the mom and going, the police are going to open this door. It might just be their apartment and it might be the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't look. I wouldn't be able to look. Well, that's what she said. She had to go back outside when they were doing it. She's like, I couldn't be there when they were opening the door. I had to wait in the yard because like, I couldn't. I was like, hyper, I was hyperventilating. Yeah. So, Ugh. yeah. So the cops basically like unscrewed the door, kind of like bashed it in a little bit to get the door open. And so when they walked in, there wasn't anybody there. And it didn't off the top look like there was any sort of foul play or anything. There was no, nothing knocked over. Really? No bed that was unmade or? Yeah, just nothing that looked like people were struggling in there. Yeah. Anything like that. Initially, she felt like immense relief about this. Like, it's still a missing case, but there's not like a crime scene in her apartment. So that's... Definitely a check on the positive side, right? It more turned, she said, it more turned into her thinking, oh, shit, Kiara's going to be so pissed that I just had her door ripped off of her apartment. Yeah. She's going to be mad at me. Well, God, wouldn't that be like the happiest ending if yeah. she came home? It was like, the door got ripped off. You're like, she's I was mad worried. at you. And you're like, yeah, you're oh. like, I'll take my daughter being pissed at me. You yeah. Know? So she had this feeling, she said she just felt like Kiara was going to call her tomorrow and there was just going to be some logical explanation for all of this. And she just closed her eyes, went to bed. And even though she had now put this on call to the police and they're on, it was on file, she didn't feel as much dread as she did. However, the morning came and went and there was still no Kiara. I can't imagine that feeling, that waking up to that. It's just, just sitting and waiting. And then you have to still do your life. Like you have mm -hmm. to do laundry and make food and go to work. You can't take time off work probably. You can't. And yeah. you're just like, my life is upended right now. And I have to keep, why am I going to clock in? This is, I would, I would lose my mind. Yeah. It's, and this is the reality of people's lives that they had, she just keep going. So from then the missing case really begins. One of the first pieces of evidence that is released to the public is security footage of a woman on the street that Kiara lives on, on an either October 2nd or October 3rd. So October 2nd is the day that her mother was like calling all morning trying to find her. October 3rd was the following day. I'm getting a lot of conflicting messages about which day this footage is being There's shown. There's no timestamp on the footage? Not on the direct footage and... It's reported so much differently in different places. It's that like telephone. A little bit. 
essentially it's surveillance footage from a building that's on the block. So it's like an outdoor sort of like ring okay. sort of situation. It's good to know those still work because sometimes I'm like, do they work? But it's good to know they do. Rings typically do because they're the newer technology, mm-hmm. but and Simply Safe. We love Simply Safe here at the Last Podcast Network <laughs> Studios. So this footage is showing a figure in a postal worker's jacket walking along the streets. And this figure is a woman. And we see this figure bypassing the car that we can see is Kiara's car. So basically, after they started making the search for her, they started trying to ask you know neighbors if they had surveillance footage or whatever. And they found a building across the street from where they had found her car. Yeah, placed. a day or so later. Yes. And so... This footage shows a woman that looks like Kiera walking past that car. And the police and the news reference this image initially as Kiera because you would assume it. It's a slender looking young woman wearing a USPS jacket. So, yeah, obviously that would be Kiera. It could. It could also be, I don't know, throwing out there a new girl that's dating the boyfriend. Well, I mean, I think that's also something that your mind could jump to immediately as well. It might not be either of those things, however. So initially, the news is referring to this image as Kiara. Karen, Kiara's mother, also initially says that this image is her daughter. However, it's later on revealed that Karen did not believe this figure to be her daughter. We'll have to get back to that. When they did locate Kiara's car at this time, which was down the street, as Josh, her boyfriend, randomly said to her mother. Yeah, why would you be parking down the street? I digress. And why would you just randomly say that the one time that it is parked down the street? I don't know. Fishy. But, you know, they had to sort of like look in and break into the car because there was no car keys to be found anywhere. What they found inside the car was not great. Well, if she wasn't missing, it would have been a perfectly normal sight to be seen. The car contained the belongings of a healthy young woman. There was a prenatal bag that she had gotten from some clinicians where she was getting checkups on her the fetus and her cell phone and what was being reported as her purse. But her mother insists now it wasn't her purse. It was a lunch that was in like a purse looking bag. So it was like she was carrying a fresh lunch that was sitting in this car. Oh, like a caboodle situation? I think it was just sort of like a, like a something that looked like a sack, and then police were like, "Oh, it's a purse. Look at the purse right there," because they don't know what to, how to like see women's things, I guess. <laughs> so it wasn't her purse. Her purse is technically still missing. The car keys were not in the car, and her purse was not. However, a bunch of these other things were, including her cell phone, which was dead. So her phone's there. Her belongings. She has vitamins. She has a lunch. That was prepared clearly for her to probably go on a long trip or go to work for the day or whatever. Whoa, the fact that the lunch is in there means that she was taken before the workday started. Because wouldn't you go and bring your lunch to work? It definitely adds a lot of questions to the disappearance for sure. And and it was clear that the lunch was new also, like the food wasn't rotting or anything. Yeah. This is just one of those missteps, though, that like the news hears somebody say that a purse was found And then that starts to get telephoned through all of the media. But then her mother, who's just did this stream like a month ago, was like, they keep saying it was her purse. It's not her purse. Her purse is missing still. That was her lunch. It just looked like a purse, like the thing she was carrying it in. But the news just hears that, oh, her purse was found. And then that's just becomes the story now. And her mom's like, no, her purse is missing. And that's kind of an important detail. It's got credit cards in there, IDs in there. Correct. That's really important, especially on the black market. Yes. So, again, the exact dates of each of these processes, like when they actually went through the car and looked through all their belongings, the details are conflicting depending on the source. However, all of these things I'm mentioning would have taken place within two days of October 2nd, 2018. Three days max. But this is all happening right around when she has disappeared. Discovering these items in her car are alarming, to say the least. This obviously screams of foul play. Also of note, when they did finally go through her apartment and search, they found her inhaler. Oh, no. She's got to take that with her. Right. So she used that on a fairly regular basis and would often take it to work with her. So to me, that's just more of an indication that she left under duress or against her will. 
Because if you just want to throw out any kind of plausible theory, oh, she just was like, I need to get out of here. I hate my family. I don't want to deal with these people anymore. She's trying like to escape. Life. Yeah. Wouldn't she at least have taken her inhaler? Like, that's a pretty basic, I need to survive kind of thing. She didn't. But not only that, all of this is confusing together until we get the newest information that just became public four years after the fact. Did she get tricked out of the car? Why was all of her stuff in the car and she wasn't? Did she get tricked out leaving her things behind? Did she forget something in her house and go like, I'm going to run back in, grab it, all leaving all of her stuff in there. And then while she was running back to the house, did she get attacked? That was the only way I could find it, the idea of it being a plausible, like, random attack from somebody in the street. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then what are you going to be like? Oh, I got to run to work. Oh, I forgot my inhaler. Let me just park my car real quick two blocks down. Well, like, it seems to me, because it seemed like she had her car set up as though she was about to take a trip, right? So her car is right by her house, right? If she just was, like, getting in the car to go off to work or wherever she was going to go, had her lunch, put her stuff in her her passenger seat and then was like oh shit i forgot my inhaler or something goes to leave the car and then somebody snatches her off the street that's the only way i could see it being a random attack person but it doesn't seem like that's the evidence that we have so it's probably unlikely no you'd park closer to your house yeah and especially if it's like run in and out you could even do an illegal job right put the blinkers on in and out baby exactly bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So it was confusing why her car was back there. It was confusing why her stuff was found in there. It's a lot of weird information. And so as the days tick by, media begins more and more picking up the story. And there were people who were covering it, by the way. This wasn't completely overlooked. But again, it's that telephone aspect we talk about with some of these missing cases where you get a paragraph of information and then all the news stories repeat it over and over again, even if some of it's incorrect. So we're getting some of those. Kiara's mom and siblings were all over the news at this time. So that's great because they were really helping to dispel like disinformation. They were able to provide tons of photos because what we always say on Spun, you make sure you have lots of pictures that are really high res of yourself because apparently news wants to see that more than if you don't have any cute pictures of yourself. So that really helps. And not only that, but they were out on the streets constantly. They were talking to people. They were, you know, doing like vigils and stuff like that. Her father, Joe, as I mentioned, Joe Coles, he stood out in the streets and handed out missing poster flyers to people who in cars. For the first few weeks, he slept in his car outside of her apartment and stood in the street during the day speaking to anyone who would stop. It's this, you know, like I said, a cute little residential neighborhood from the footage. I found it looks like a lot of young families are there and he would just stand there near her place and talk to anybody who would talk to him as they drove by. My God. But the thing about like a postal worker is you probably go to work pretty early. I'm guessing like a 4 a.m. wake up and get out there. And I don't know if a lot of families are out, you know, but seeing it in real time. But regardless, if you didn't see that exact moment, People in the neighborhood might have information. Right. I saw her and she seemed disoriented at one point or I saw her arguing with somebody. You know, that's one of the things. Still clues. Yes, exactly. You know, it breaks my heart, man. He quit his job, moved from Wisconsin, started being full time in in Chicago. And he was like living in his car trying to get people to like. And and this is like getting towards the winter time. That is heartbreaking. Chicago. That is freezing. Yeah. Her family has not given up on her. They have worked tirelessly for the last four years. You know who wasn't out there searching? Hmm. Josh Simmons. 
the boyfriend. Oh, no. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And there is like, you know, and I don't want to point my little crooked witch's finger, but whenever a woman is pregnant, she's just more likely to be killed by her husband. Oh, we will discuss the statistics here today. I know it's cliche to say it's the boyfriend. It was the boyfriend. It was the husband, obviously. But why wasn't he searching? Why do you know where the car was? What's going on there, buddy? Yeah. And as of now, I need to be clear and acknowledge that this far he's not been charged with anything. And that sometimes during these cases, things look really strongly one way or somebody looks really bad. And then it actually goes an entirely different direction. Somebody can be a prick, a piece of shit, but actually not have committed the crime also. You're right. You're very logical, Natalie. I respect that out of you. (laughs) I'm over here like, hey, did it. And you're like, let's look at the facts. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm saying that just because I want to put it out there. But the statistics are not in his favor generally. But it is a possibility he didn't. Okay. Okay. Are we all clear? But just to cover from the top. Her mother, again, who is named Karen, I've said her name like 50 times, but Karen and Kier are close names. So when I learn about information, I need people to say the names over and over again. So that's why her mother's name is Karen. Kiera is the missing woman. Karen had no preconceived anticipation of her daughter disappearing. And what I mean by that is there was no evidence that she was having mental health issues, that she was abusing drugs, that she was depressed. None of those things existed, right? So I want to get that out of the way before we go any further into the story. But by all accounts, she was very content with her job and was very excited and looking forward to being a mother. So there's no reason that her daughter would have just sort of like ran into the night. No. I mean, she was like working at the post office for years before she like officially got signed She really wanted that job. She just got a new car. She just got this nice apartment. Why would she run away? Yeah. And she had been very excited about becoming a mom. She really wanted it. And this is a picture there, if you can see, of uh, her holding her sonogram. She's so happy. She's very excited. Though Kiara was thrilled, according to those who were closest with her, and according to her mother, both Kiara and her boyfriend, Josh, had planned for this pregnancy. But they weren't married, though. It was a boyfriend. Yes. And yeah, I mean, hey, it, I don't think you need to be married to have a kid. Okay. Um, yeah, you don't yeah. even need to get married at all. They were, from the surface, like in a very serious relationship and both really wanted a kid together. And so fucking, you know, God bless. But because it was only three months in and she had only confirmed for certain she was pregnant a few weeks beforehand— She hadn't told a lot of people yet. Only her close friends and family and Josh knew. I mean, really, you're not supposed to before three months because it's so easy to have a miscarriage. Right. So you tell people and then what if you do? And they're like, so how's that baby coming? And you're like, well, you know, guess God had different plans. Yeah, totally. Usually expectant mothers, like you said, won't announce it until after three months just for safety. So she hadn't. There wasn't a lot of people who knew she was pregnant. This also was her first child. And I imagine she was still trying to like get her bearings about all of it before she started doing all the fun baby posts that get all the likes. Kiara had been, again, in this long-term relationship with Josh. They had been together almost six years, and he was the father. On paper, it sounds like he was a really solid guy. He had a steady job. He worked with USPS, which is a very... You have to have a lot of responsibility to work there. He owned his own house. He had custody of his two daughters and he had a mortgage. He was parenting. Seems like solid dude. They wanted to have a family. But yet there were some signs that he was also a dog, a dirty little dog. Dirty dog. Well, he has custody of his two daughters. So there's another woman in the picture. There was two others. But according to Josh, they weren't together. Like when he was like, you know, out cavorting around when he was younger, he had some kids And I mean, I'm not going to judge you for that. You grow up and you're like, oh, shit, I fucked up a bunch, but I love these kids. I'm going to take care of them, whatever. Right. It's fine. I'm the one being a bitch. No, you're not being a bitch. Um, To me, that sounds like a living nightmare to just have a bunch of kids when you're young. But some people like it, you know. And I apologize, by the way, to dogs for the comparison because they don't deserve that. (laughs) And as I say, I am not implicating him in this disappearance, but I am kind of implicating him in being a douchebag for his other actions. Anyway, as many of you know, and like you just brought up, Amber, what do you think the leading cause of death in pregnant women is? Murder by your spouse. It is homicide. 
We have worked for centuries to make childbirth safe, while once upon a time it was commonplace for both the mother and or the child to die during childbirth or soon after. Modern medicine has nearly eradicated this in rich countries. There are, of course, still conditions that occur and tragedies happen, but women and children are statistically expected to survive pregnancy and childbirth. But that's just for the actual you know, physical health naturally of not dying from pregnancy and childbirth. But there's these other things that can happen to you. So this is from nature.com. Pregnant women in the United States die by homicide more often than they die of pregnancy-related causes. And they're frequently killed by a partner, according to a study published last month in Obstetrician and Gynecology. Researchers revealed this grim statistic by using death certificates to compare homicides and pregnancy-related deaths across the entire country for the first time. So this is them very recently in time doing a cross-country study of the number of homicides of pregnant or recently given birth mothers compared to, you know, causes by bleeding out or something like that by accident with being pregnant. Right. You'll probably die from being killed. Yeah. So this I just want to do a little bit more of this article here. Although smaller studies have tracked homicides during pregnancy at the state and local level, confirming the scope of the phenomenon on a national scale is valuable, says Vijay Singh, a physician at the University of Michigan Medical School in Ann Arbor, who studies how healthcare workers can monitor abuse by current and former romantic partners. You can't understand a problem unless you can measure it. So the physician is basically saying they were studying it on a national level because there have been studies done state by state before for different things. But they really wanted to get like a full scope of the country and like how many people are actually dying collectively from murder if they're pregnant. And this is how many. The researchers found that U.S. women who are pregnant or were pregnant in the past 42 days, the postpartum period, die by homicide more than twice the rate that they die of bleeding or placental disorders, the leading causes of what are usually classified as pregnancy-related deaths. Also, becoming pregnant increases the risk of death by homicide between the ages of 10 and 44 years. Women who are pregnant or had their pregnancy end in the past year are killed at a rate at 16% higher than women who are not pregnant. 10 years old? Yeah, I mean, the sentence containing the words 10 years old pregnant in women should never exist unless it's women should make sure 10 year olds are never pregnant. They should not otherwise be in a sentence together. It's disgusting. And also, I hate that they're saying 10 to 44, but saying women because 10 year olds are not women. It's a child. You just raped a child and then killed her. Also, I would like to acknowledge the non-binary parents who are pregnant because they obviously probably also are at high risk for homicide. Yeah. So, yes, you're 16 percent higher rate to be murdered if you are pregnant than just like a random woman getting murdered. And already a random woman getting murdered is pretty high. I mean, just yeah. think of your friend walking down the streets yes. with a knife attack. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yes. And sadly, this last little bit I want to cover from this article. The team found that black women in the United States who are pregnant or were recently pregnant have up to nearly threefold higher risk of dying by homicide than those who are not pregnant. The highest increase reported among any racial or ethnic group. The team reported rates only among black, Hispanic, and white women because the sample sizes for other groups, such as Asian American women or Native American women, were too small to publish. So, so I, you're even more at risk if you're a black woman yes. in the United States. And in case I didn't mention it, I don't think I did. Kira is a black woman. I imagine this has something to do with economic disparity and poverty rates, but also need to take into account a lot of studies are done with racism like inherently injected in them. So you always yeah. have to take that with a grain of salt. However, if this study was done more on a blind way where they did actual sample sizes from like appropriate amounts of people from each group, then that would be, you know, they're saying that black women are three times as likely to die from homicide when they're pregnant than those who are not pregnant. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. You're um, already in such a vulnerable position. Yes. So you should be protected. Yes. <laughs> what is this whole shit that men are like, we're here to protect you when you're pregnant? You mean kill me? Because yeah. we're, you know, especially if you're a black woman, more likely to fucking die by you. Yeah. 
There's also um, this is a sidebar, but I've read some accounts that have been reposted. So it's only as you can only take that as far as you want. It's not like I saw this like verified for sure. But I've seen some accounts being posted of guys who pressured the woman to have the baby because they didn't believe in abortion or adoption. And then the woman says, "Okay, but I'm not caring for the child. I'll pay child support and I'm not a part of this life. Just like dudes do all the time. And um, the, the father who forced the births writing into like ask advice on like I this is really hard I don't like it why can't why can't I make her just come and help me yeah their lives are ruined <laughs> and they're just like Ugh. I always find that and this might also be a sidebar but when dudes are like men and women have different purposes and different reasons and we're both built for different things I'm like this seems like a dog whistle for you to make me be your little housekeeper oh. to like you can go pitch a fit and scream and cry. I have to pick up after you, do all the emotional labor. Yeah. And then you have to, quote unquote, go to work and then cry about it. Oh, I mean, dog whistle is like an understatement. I mean, sometimes they're just openly saying it, but it's a fucking game that we've been playing for centuries now. And we just have been falling for it over and over again. But it's complete Horseshit. Yeah, I feel like the the men who say that, not all men, but the ones who say that are just useless. They're just useless piles of trash. Of course. They don't know how to do anything for themselves. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> Great. Concurred. No one, no men in this room to disagree with us. No, but also, again, that's, <laughs> but a ver- that's not all men. Though. It's not even close to all men. It's a small percentage of men who are yeah. very annoying. Oh, God, they're so loud. They're so loud. Shut the fuck up. I wish. I wish. I wish I had a gavel so I could just go, shut up. And then do the gavel. Because um, <laughs> they're making good men look bad. Yeah, absolutely. They're also the kind of dudes who are like, we men all want this and this. And I'm like, I think a lot of men would like to interject and be like, I don't think that. Why don't speak don't in generalities that. like that? It's obnoxious. No, it's so dudes, annoying. Yeah. Anybody, anytime anybody has like a general, like speaks in generalities like that, I'm just, I don't take you seriously because you're what you're saying is stupid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so those details are why... The boyfriend thing is a cliche because it's also very likely. But that doesn't mean we should condemn him for a crime already. He hasn't been charged. And because he might not have done something. And we also want to presume Kiara is alive for as long as we don't know. But what we do know is that Josh Simmons did not go help Karen or Joe or Kiara's family. He did not join the friends and family and strangers who helped run awareness rallies and birthday vigils. He, in fact has not spoken to Karen since the day her daughter disappeared. Oh, my God, dude. At least give half of a shit. Well, instead of that, he moved to another state with another woman named Kiera. What? Yes, you heard that correctly. The same name? Mm -hmm. Get the fuck out. That's a dirty dog. Yeah. So... We're going to stop here today and finish part two next week. In the meantime, I highly recommend if you want to follow this story more and hear the story of Kiera, go listen to Kiera's mother on that stream that I previously mentioned. I'll link it in our stories. Hear her words, please. But listen to the reports if you want to delve further into it. She has a lot of insight, but it's also important to hear like, even though we have a lot of distrust for detectives and stuff to hear what they're saying as well. So just please go listen to that. And in the meantime, Kiera Coles is described as being five foot four inches tall and weighing about 125 pounds. She has black hair and brown eyes. She has a medium to dark complexion. Kiera has a tattoo of a heart on her right hand and a tattoo that says Lucky Libra on her back. Oh, a Libra lady. Yeah. Kiera's baby would be three years old today. And we don't know anything else about this child, but that he or she would be black. Anyone with information on Kiera's whereabouts is asked to call the Chicago Police Department's Area South Special Victims Unit at 312-747-8274 or the U.S. Postal Inspection Service at 877-876-2455. The U.S. Postal Inspection Service is being involved for obvious reasons because she wasn't working with them. And they have also put money together with the police for a reward. I believe at the last time I checked, it was at $49,000 for the reward. So there are a lot of government institutions being heavily involved with this. You know, we need to keep her name out there because this has been going on for four years and they still don't have resolution. Her mother is still, like I said, talking begging people to come forward and wanting people to hear the entire story. So that is, again, that stream. I'll link that to our socials. And let's just hope that we find Kiera and her baby. 
and that they're okay somewhere. And we'll finish up her story next week. You can follow us at Someplace Underneath and me at The Natty Jean. Amber Smelson. And we will be saucy, pert, and greasy over here. I hope you are as well. And that you had a safe and sloppy yet comfortable yet kind of ridiculous Halloween. Yeah, I hope you all had fun. Yeah. That's another way to put it. Bye. (laughs) Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.